happy Super Bowl, Super Bowl Sunday. Um, any San Francisco fans here? All right, I see you have a lot of pride. What about Kansas City? Oh, all right. Uh, this, the Super Bowl is such a big day in this country, and I came across these statistics. Americans are going to eat a lot today. 1.33 billion wings will be consumed in the United States. 11 million slices of pizza. And $227 million will be spent on potato chips. <laughs> Crazy, right? Tomorrow, 17 million Americans will call in sick. It's unofficially called Super Sick Monday. And this was the most interesting stat of all. It is estimated that 40% of people watching the game are not even fans of football. Busted, right? Super Bowl Sunday is essentially a national holiday to the point where it's an excuse to gather. It's an excuse to gather. And people who don't even like the sport want to gather, to spend time with one another. And social gatherings, especially now, nowadays, is, are, are so complicated, aren't they? One survey estimates that nearly half, half of Americans either always or sometimes feel alone. The same applies for always or some, sometimes feeling left out. And to think that in a gathering like this, there's maybe 300, 350 of us, that anywhere from 150 to 175 people will feel left out, will feel left alone, or left, uh, feel alone, is disturbing, isn't it? Most of us would easily agree that relationships are important and vital for a variety of reasons. Even scientifically, they say, as you have more relationships, your physical health is better. Almost all of us crave deep and meaningful relationships with one another. And all you single folks, you're holding out hope, right? You're like, headed for the goal. <laughs> don't act like you don't care. <laughs> Gosh. All you single folks want to be married one day. Can you just admit it? And married folks, you want your relationship with your spouse to be the most special and intimate. I don't think there's any person who says, oh, I just want my marriage to be so-so. Some of our favorite memories and life's sweetest joys are in the context of relationships. But at the same time, many of us know the pain of relationships as well. We know what it's like to experience brokenness and conflict, misunderstanding, even betrayal and disappointment in relationships. I think all of us can admit that certain relationships in our lives are confusing, frustrating, and complicated. So how do we navigate this area, this important area of our lives? Today, and going into the rest of this month, we're gonna start this new sermon series that we're calling With, very simply. And we want to look at the Bible and see what God shows us about relationships. We 
want to talk about how to relate to God, but also how to relate to friends and how to relate to the opposite gender. We're going to talk about singleness, dating, sex, and marriage. We're going to talk about conflict and disappointments. And outside of a Sunday service, we hope to provide a workshop or seminar on loneliness because it's to the point where people are calling it an epidemic. But most of all, we want to see why relationships matter to God. We want to know why relationships are hard according to scripture. I think we can absorb from what's happening around us why it's hard, but we want to know from God what the root of the problem is and how to attack it. We want to develop a biblical theology of relationships that every single one of us can apply to all of our relationships. So this morning, we're going to start way at the beginning of the Bible. So if you have your Bibles, turn to Genesis, the first book. And we're going to look at uh, several passages, so just keep your finger there. But we're going to start at Genesis chapter 1, verses 26 and 27. Genesis chapter 1, verses 26 and 27. And if you don't have your Bibles, you can read along with me on the screen. Genesis 1:26. Then God said, Let us make man in our image, after our likeness, and let them have dominion over the fish of the sea, and over the birds and of, the, of the heavens, and over the livestock, and over all the earth, and over every creeping thing that creeps on earth. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. I'm going to read that again. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Let's pray briefly before we continue. Lord, we ask for you to be with us, and uh, we pray the dangerous prayer that this would not just be another sermon, that this would not be a, another Sunday. We pray a prayer we hope hits to the core of your heart that you would transform us. So whatever comes out of my mouth, I pray, God, that you would breathe life into it, use it as you please, and make us different. Make us more like the people you want us to be. So may the words of my mouth and the meditation of all our hearts be pleasing in your sight, O Lord, our rock and our redeemer. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. In the first three chapters of Genesis, we want to look at how God, Adam, and Eve work through relationships. We want to see how God sets them up. We want to see what happens in the context of Adam and Eve. And what we want to do is not look at this, uh, the first three chapters as, what can we learn about marriage? For sure, Adam and Eve, they were husband and wife, but we want to look at relationships in general. So, so this morning, we want to look at three truths for all of our relationships. Three truths for all of our relationships. And I will be bold and say that these truths apply to every relationship in your life. These three truths show up again and again and again throughout scripture. And I believe that when we take them, take ownership of it, apply it to our lives, we can really see change in the relationships in our lives. So first truth. We are created to have deep relationships. We are created 
to have deep relationships. Did I get skip? By looking at how God created humans, the first takeaway is that meaningful relationships are part of our spiritual DNA. In verse 26, we read, let us make man in our image, after our likeness. We were made in the image of God, and there is something about how we're created that we point to him. We reflect something about him. We display his glory. And everywhere else in scripture, God says, let there be blank, and then it comes to be. But with human beings, he says, let us. There's a consultation that happens. Let us make man in our image after our likeness. And passages like Colossians 1, 15 15 to 17, and John chapter 1, verse 1, tell us that all three persons of the Trinity were at the beginning at creation. God the Father, God the Son, God the Spirit, they not only existed, but they worked in harmony to bring about everything in creation. So when God says, let us make humankind in our image, there's something about us individually and corporately that points to who God is in his relationship with his Son and the Holy Spirit. A core part of our identity, a critical part of who we are, is that we are relational beings. Later in uh, chapter 2, God sees Adam in the garden by himself, and he says, it is not good that man should be alone. And we have to stop and think, okay, was Adam sad? Was he lonely? Did God, is that why he said it wasn't good? But we have to go back and look and see that God created everything and he said it, it is good. But there was something about Adam being in isolation, being in this paradise, in aloneness, that was not good. Adam was created a perfect human being. The problem was that something was lacking where Adam couldn't show the union, the intimacy that God shared with his son and the Holy Spirit. So being in relationship with God and with one another, it should help us better reflect the image of God. And, you know, like maybe I should go to calligraphy night, but that's my drawing. Um, (laughs) And it's just to visualize. We were created by God. That triangle is to represent the Trinity. In looking at us, we're supposed to reflect the arrows are pointing out. When you look at me, you should be able to see something about God, the Father, God, the Son, God, the Holy Spirit. And it's always oriented out. That's how we were created. And then when we're in relationship with one another, I'm getting complicated, you know? (laughs) We bear that image upon one another. We help bear that image better together. Through our words, our action, our intentions, you and I are designed to shine something about who God is and what he has done. And some of us might feel like, gosh, this is old news. Let's move on. We know that we were created for deep relationships, but it's different to know it and hear it and another thing to own it for yourself. That the creator God 
The God of the Bible is unlike anyone or anything in the entire universe. He falls into no category. He is indescribable and unfathomable. And that's what we mean when we say that he is holy. In all of his perfect qualities, this God, who did not need to make a single thing, he didn't do it because he needed creation or needed us. He decided to make himself known and express himself through creation. And out of all of the things that he created, out of all the things, he chose only one creature to bear his image. In being deeply connected to him, to, to one another, we are doing something divine. We're doing something royal. And it sounds weird, but you and I are God's magnum opus. You and I are his masterpiece. You and I are his most cherished creation. Theologian Marva Don, she says this, this sense of being made in God's image calls us to constantly to look for it in others and to do what we can to help them acknowledge it and to realize it by joining in worship. We thereby carry to others the answer to their inmost longing, a yearning for union with the Trinity, a thirst to respond with adoration to the God who made them. What I like about that is there's no qualification that you and I have to be both believers, that you and I have to know enough about the Bible, that you and I have to have a long history of being with Jesus. There is something about just being human that gives us the opportunity to carry to one another the answer to our inmost longing. And I am lucky because I have people like my wife and uh, friends from my childhood and college friends uh, with whom I'm close. And, but by virtue of interacting with actually you all more regularly, maybe not, my, not, not so with, much with my wife, I see her every day, but because I see you all more than my childhood friends and my college friends, I witness in each and every one of you the image of God. I put this uh, group photo from the Young Adult Retreat. What's up? Uh, as my desktop background. I didn't expect that, but... Um, and if you see me up here, a lot of times I look around the room. And not to be creepy, but I like to make eye contact with as many people as possible. Because I really do believe that God knows each and every one of you. He cares for each and every one of you. And this is on my desktop background. When it asked me, my computer asked me for my password, I see the same like eight faces every day. Uh, and I promise I pray for you. So if you happen to be in the middle of that picture, you get, you're getting prayed for. Regardless of how close I feel to you, or even you feel to me, you and I have this deep commonality of being created in the image of God. You and I bear God's image, each in unique ways, my own way, your own way, your spiritual gifts, your experiences, your passions, your distinct presence in the places and the people in your lives. And because of, because of each of you, I, I can better bear the image of God, and I, I pray that you can do so also. Every relational longing we have 
every meaningful conversation we crave, emotional closeness, and even physical intimacy, all of these found, are found in the origin of being created in the image of God. So the purpose of all of our relationships is to bear the image of God together. This is what it means to have deep relationships. Secondly, sin destroys and distorts our relationships. It doesn't take a long time. You know, we talked about Super Bowl Sunday possibly being a lonely time, possibly being an opportunity to feel left out. And all of us can attest to not experiencing relationships in the way that God had designed. Why are relationships so hard and complicated? Why are they so difficult to build up? Why are they so messy? In Genesis 2, God gives Adam and Eve this one command. You may surely eat of the tree, every tree in the garden, but of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil you shall not eat, for in the day that you eat of it you shall surely die. At first glance, God's words look like a rule to keep. And we often understand sin as that. Sin equals breaking a rule, breaking a command. But sin is so much more than that if we realize we've been created in the image of God. Sin is more than doing something that you're not supposed to. Sin is distrust that God is good. It's distrust for his plan behind the commands, his intention Sin is rebellion against God's means, God's ways of making you who he wants you to be. And most of all, sin is telling God who created you with a specific identity and purpose that you will find your identity and purpose elsewhere. That's why sin is so nasty. So when Adam and Eve give in to this temptation, we're not surprised that everything gets messed up, disaster strikes, In verses 10 to 12, we see that sin always, always creates separation. And at the very least, we we see that sin causes us to experience a couple of things. We see that we experience fear, we feel shame, we hide from God, we blame others. And all we have to do is look at Adam's words. When God confronts him, Adam says, I was afraid because I was naked and I hid myself. And a couple of verses later, he says, the woman you gave me, she gave me the fruit of the tree. Sin makes us terrified of God when we used to be in such close connection with him. Sin makes us ashamed to be seen by others. It causes us to hide ourselves and point the finger at others. So again, this, this diagram, right? We're created to bear the image of God and do it better together. But sin breaks everything down. And the way that I kind of imagined it is that the triangle gets lost. The arrows that were pointed out all of a sudden get bent, twisted back towards me. For Adam and Eve, it was about, hold up. I need to protect myself. I need to hide my shame. I need to cast the blame on somebody else. When formerly it was about bearing the image of God, now it's about protecting my image. 
Sin twists all of our relationships. Relationships all of a sudden become about what we can gain and how we can benefit. Relationships become overly focused on how we can maximize happiness and minimize pain. Sin demands relationships to operate on fairness. We would never say this, but this is how some of our relationships go. If you love me, I will love you back. If you accept me, I will accept you. If you're vulnerable with me, I'll be vulnerable with you. And on the flip side, if you hurt me, I'll hurt you. If you neglect me, then I'll neglect you. If you belittle me, I'll belittle you. Sin makes us believe lies about ourselves and lies about others. Sin destroys the intimacy and unity that we were meant to experience in our relationship with God and in our relationship with one another. In uh, 2018, Cigna, uh, I think some of you might even have your health insurance from them, they conducted a survey amongst adults ages 18 and up in the United States. And they discovered that 54% said that they feel like no one knows them. 54%. And the stats are very similar in Europe. And we are starting to witness people volitionally choose not to be social, not to interact with one another. In Japan, there's a group of people called the hikikomori. These are people who do not leave their homes or interact with anyone outside of their immediate family for a minimum of six months. In 2018, Japan recorded 541,000 people from the ages of only 15 to 39. They're not even counting the elderly. Ages 15 to 39 who have not left the house in six months, have not interacted with anyone outside of their immediate family. This is a picture from the BBC article that investigated this. Six months of no face-to-face -face interaction. When I saw this, all I could think was, this is not how God created us to be. If being human means that we need to bear the image of God, this is the most unhuman thing, one of the most unhuman things that I could see this week. Apart from us intentionally hurting each other, this was a disturbing image. This felt like the least human. The biblical reason around the difficulty in relationship is clear, it's sin. The temptation for us is to chalk it up because we're different, different personalities, different preferences, and we just have to work around it. I think too many believers have overly bought into our culture's mantra, like you be you, and finding the people who only allow me to do that. We tacitly believe that our friends, our social group, our squad, our church community, significant other, should be based on who we vibe with the most. And then it's implied that everyone else is not needed, right? We're in cancel culture, right? We don't need you if you don't vibe with me. This is the undoing, I think, of what God did in creation. So what do we do about this? Sin is 
the biblical reason why relationships are hard. How do we undo this? Sinfulness is a royal, it's literally a royal screw-up. What do we do? And it's tempting for me as a pastor. I want to give you the most practical uh, takeaway as possible. But God did something weird as I was preparing for this sermon, and I felt like he was telling me to not do that. He, I felt like he was telling me to show you who he is. So I'm very much urging and pleading with you all to, for the next, the remainder of this sermon, to hear me out and think about how it's going to make a difference in your life. How are you going to take this last truth, this third truth, and make it something that lives out in action and power? Truth number three is that God provides us a better way for deep relationships. God provides us a better way for deep relationships. I'm worked up. <sighs> like my nose is running and my throat is dry. It's all good. When Adam and Eve eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, they experience shame right away. And look at this reaction in verse four, uh, 7. Chapter 3, verse 7. Then the eyes of both Adam and Eve were opened, and they knew that they were naked. They sewed fig leaves together and made themselves loincloths. Adam and Eve were living in the Garden of Eden with God. They could have called out to him. The following verse actually says that they were close enough to hear God walking in the garden. That's how close he was. They could have called out to him. But instead, Adam and Eve tried to manage their own shame. They managed the problem on their own, and they sow fig leaves for themselves. And even after they get covered, they cover themselves up, they still hide. And there's a bunch of verses in between, but later in verse 21, God does something that I think can get quickly overlooked. In verse 21, we read that the Lord God made for Adam and his wife garments of skins and clothed them. It's an odd detail at an odd moment. God has just shared all the consequences of sin post their mistake, post their failure. But God uses the opportunity to provide them a better garment than the one that they made for themselves. The fig leaves were how they coped with how things got messed up. But God gives them a better garment, the garment of skins. Some theologians point to this verse and name that for a garment of skins to be made, an animal had to die. And this is a foreshadowing of all the animal sacrifices in the Old Testament that an animal needed to die to atone for the sin of the people. And even further, this would ultimately foreshadow Jesus Christ laying down his own life so that you and I can have our sins atoned for. Fig leaves point to the way we try to figure things out on our own. Relationships are complicated. Relationships, some of our relationships suck. We've been mistreated. 
Fig leaves is to cope with it, create defense mechanisms, decide to be maybe antisocial, to act like it never happened. But the, garments, the garment of skins represents the ways that we allow God to provide us a way to stay connected to him. The way that we allow God to help us bear his image and then help the people around us bear his image as well. Even in spite of sin, in our hearts and in the world, God provides this better garment so that we can maintain that core identity, being image bearers of God. In Adam and Eve's worst moment, God shows them grace. He still shows them that he wants them to be his image bearers. His kindness, his grace, his leading and help when we least deserve it. So, you know, I'm going to be blunt. Do you have relationships in your life where you're using fig leaves instead of letting God clothe you? Maybe it's a relationship from your past that needs reconciliation. Or maybe it's a relationship that you long for so much in the future that you're trying to figure out and manage your desires. What might it mean for you to let God clothe you with a garment of skins? So I'm going to be a little uh, vulnerable and share about one relationship of, in my life. And uh, this, it's a weird thing to have my words recorded and published on the internet. So I'm not going to name who this person is. Uh, but I'm going to reveal to you in, in a, as a way of being transparent and vulnerable. Okay? Everyone on the podcast is like, oh. <laughs> Six years ago, uh, we had a falling out. And I, I felt like I did my best to keep this relationship intact. But um, we got to a place where I just decided it was, I needed to just cut him off. I uh, did not talk to him, did not communicate at all for at least seven months. It might have been more. Uh, I figured that cutting this person off would, would give me the greatest freedom. I was persuaded that I was completely fine without this person in my life. Uh, for those uh, seven months, however, um, I was a hot mess. Um, I carried anger and bitterness that I don't think I've ever experienced in my life. Um, I swore to everyone that I was okay, but, uh, and I'm not proud to admit this, but every night I went to sleep, I asked God why this person was still alive. Every time I woke up in the morning, I asked God why that this person gets away with thinking that they did nothing wrong to me. And this is just me being very honest. Uh, my anger was messing me up, and this was right when Pastor Bill, our lead pastor, first came to Cornerstone, he must have been a, only a couple months in, and um, you know he knew what was going on, and uh, he said something to me that unsettled me. He said, "You may not be ready now, you know something along these lines. You may not be ready ready now, but I'm looking forward to the day when you can forgive him." I was so pissed. <laughs> I said it. I was so pissed at Pastor Bill. 
I was pissed because I was like, didn't you hear what I experienced from this person? But I was also pissed because I knew that stinking Pastor Bill was right. <laughs> I thought I had resolved this situation. And of course, he said it in the most gentle and fatherly way. But it, so it took time. I really did. I couldn't pray for it myself. I had to ask everyone else to pray for me. But I got to a place where I started to really uh, pray. It was short. You know, I, I couldn't give much to it. And I remember going to a pastor's conference, and I felt like significant healing uh, had happened around this. And I kid you not, on my way back, flight got delayed, like hot mess. Came home. I, I had stayed up all night, put my bags down, and phone rings. As this person. I think if it were any other time, I wouldn't, I wouldn't have picked up. I think I would have just hung up. But God knew what he was doing. Um, even in those, th those tense moments where I didn't want to honestly forgive this person. And I could tell you now, we're both you know, in a much better place. We can say to each other that we love each other, that uh, we, even gotten, we have gotten to a place where we can enjoy each other's company. And I'm not sharing this as, oh, look at me. No, I'm saying, hey, look at what God can do. I was using the fig leaves of cutting him off. But what God wanted was a garment of skin. He wanted forgiveness to happen. Not in the perfect way. It took a long time. But he knew what I, I had experienced. He knew what I needed. And he led me. God does not want you to cope or manage your relationships, whether it's past hurts or deep yearnings that you feel are not fulfilled. He wants to offer you a completely radical way. And specifically, it's through the provision of his grace and not through your efforts alone. And this is the case through and through in the Bible. I hope you know that, that over and over, God provided a way for his people in the Old Testament to have a special relationship with him despite sin. That he provided the tabernacle, he provided the temple. And then in the New Testament, it was Jesus and the Holy Spirit. Over and over, God would gather and form his people to be his image bearers through the nation of Israel in the Old Testament, and then through the church in the New Testament. I think it's a major temptation for us to feel like we need to get our relationships in order in order to be a blessing to others. But I think what the most powerful testimony to this world is the, to shine the perfect God through our imperfections. God's chosen means to make himself known in this world are imperfect image bearers like you and me. God wants to prove that he's the creator God, the one who gives every human being their identity and purpose. And when we live in that way, we're able to be super generous with our love. That's how we bear God's image today. So this morning, it's these three truths. I wish I could sit down with each of you and tell you exactly how you can put it 
into practice in, in your life. And I'm limited, but if you really need the help, let me know. Let the pastors know. Let prayer ministry know. Let your small group leaders, your community group leaders know they're committed to having you become better Im image bearers of God. Now let's pray briefly before we partake in the Lord's communion. Father, we come before you and we take it for granted that relationships happen. It's too much of a given that we need relationships. So God, we come before you, we want to say that we need relationships in the way that you designed us for relationships. We also want to be people who are quick, quick to come to you in confession and repentance when we make relationships about us and not about you. We ask for your forgiveness. But we don't want to stop there. We don't want to be people who feel the shame, feel fear, and just hide. We want to go to you and allow you to clothe us in a better garment. So even as we continue in worship through the partaking of the Lord's Supper, remind us that you so much want communion with us, that you want intimacy with us, and in turn, we can have deep, meaningful relationships with the people around us. For those of us who are struggling with difficult relationships, may we be people of radical trust, radical surrender, and that at Cornerstone, we would be a church full of testimonies of how you've led us, how you've healed us, how you have made us a church of forgiven people who forgive others. So we need you, God. Continue to minister to us. And in Jesus' name we pray.